Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Today is still a day of grace. God is calling sinners unto repentance and living faith. May we open the door of our heart. Stay tuned to the Echoes of Mercy broadcast brought to you by the Apostolic Lutheran Eastern Missionary Association. This is Pastor Alvin Holmgren. I serve in the ministry of the Apostolic Lutheran Church in Seattle, Washington. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty and all-knowing God, whose goodness never fails, and whose mercy is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear thee, we lift up our hearts unto thee in prayer and thanksgiving, and beseech thee to hearken unto the voice of thy children. We bless thee that thou didst bestow upon us the gift of thy only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, and did promise that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have eternal life. We ask thee that thou would give us such faith in him, in his mighty works and words, in his innocent sufferings and death, and in his glorious resurrection and ascension, that we may receive the remission of our sins, be delivered from the bondage of Satan, and finally, in fellowship with all of thy saints, receive the final victory. Sow thy truth in the hearts of the people of this nation, that there may be a bounteous harvest of peace and righteousness. Grant thy favor unto our homes, so that our children may learn to walk in Christ, and our youth perceive that only godliness has the promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. With the healing dew of thy love, refresh the spirits of all who are in affliction or danger, and by thy grace uphold them in every trial. Bless these moments of fellowship which we share together in the word. Grant unto us, Father, the presence and the enlightenment of thy Holy Spirit. We ask all of these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory for ever and ever. Amen. For our meditation today, I am going to read from the book of Psalms, Psalm 145, and I will read the first nine verses in the Lord's name. I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name for ever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name for ever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty, and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness 
and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Amen. In looking at this psalm in my Bible, I note that it has been given the title, David's Psalm of Praise. A brief glance at its contents supports that title choice. This psalm, together with the five that conclude the entire book of psalms, are all filled with praises. While we note that the five which precede Psalm 145, which I have just read, contain mostly prayers, one Bible scholar made the statement that those who spend much time in prayer will certainly find much for which to abound in praise. Our thanksgiving to God for the many manifestations of his mercy should certainly exceed our supplications for mercy. In the historical sections of the Bible, we have come to know David as the youthful shepherd boy who became king. Here in the Psalms, we see him as the poet, as the sweet singer of Israel, as he has also been called. As we read his Psalms, we can find him on his knees, pouring his heart out to God in repentance. We can find him seeking forgiveness and asking that God's Spirit would not be taken from him and that the joy of his salvation might be restored to him. We find him asking for God's reassuring presence, for God's deliverance in times of persecution and in other trials. He is also seen seeking instruction in God's will and praying for strength to do what the Word of God teaches. Sometimes we may even wonder if an individual psalm could have been written during a specific experience in David's life. Many times we can even see ourselves and our own experiences mirrored in David's writings. At times it is as though we can make these psalms of prayer and praise our very own. We can pray the psalms as the mid-20th century German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer has expressed his experience in his writings. He was the man who was martyred by his own governmental leaders in his native land just a matter of days before the end of World War II. Now before we begin to look at all the verses in uh, this psalm a little more individually, I would like to say that it seems in the earlier part of our scripture reading, God's glories and his unique attributes are remembered and praised. Then in the latter part of this psalm, it is his everlasting kingdom and his direction of it that come to the forefront. To the extent that the Lord helps and guides us today, we will speak of the first nine verses of the psalm. Then, in a subsequent message, we will endeavor to meditate on the latter part, where David writes about God's everlasting kingdom with its dominion that endures throughout all generations. The psalm begins, I will extol thee, my God, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. For the Christian, the praise of God is not only a duty, it is also his delight. Perhaps all of us at times have rendered our praise to God out of a sense of duty rather than a feeling of delight. But I am sure 
that we have experienced God's goodness sufficiently so that we know what it is to delight in him and to delight in his praise. Most of us who have had the blessing of having Christian parents recall being taught to return thanks unto the Lord for all of his gifts and blessings. From my earliest childhood, I also remember prayer at mealtime. We would bow our heads and fold our hands as we gave thanks. In my childhood home, the Norwegian language was my father and mother's mother tongue, and so our table prayers were generally in that language. A literal translation of the most familiar of these prayers would be, In the name of Jesus, we come to this table to eat and drink because of the promises of God's word. This is to your glory, O God, and for our benefit and blessing. Amen. This is a simple yet heartfelt prayer of thanks. And then we come to the morning and the evening prayers to learn to acknowledge that God's providence in our lives, to ask him for his guidance, and to thank him for his blessings each night. Sometimes we hear statements which seem to question the value of these prayers offered because of a sense of duty. These learned prayers, as they are often called. But I believe that God can be honored even in those times when we use certain set-aside moments for thanking him. When I now refer to Daniel and his prayer practice during captivity in Babylon, it is not my intention to become Daniel's judge and say that his practice of praying three times a day was prompted by duty rather than delight. God knew his heart when he prayed before the open window that looked out toward Jerusalem, the place where the temple, the house of God, once stood. The fact is that these three daily prayer times continued to be Daniel's routine even after he learned that the king had issued a decree that for thirty days no one was to ask anything of any god or any man except the king. Transgressors of the order would be punished by being thrown into the den where lions were kept. But I am sure that every Christian knows what it is to be visited by the Lord with a sense of spiritual refreshing so that he can truly say that praise is not only a duty but a delight. God can visit us with seasons of refreshing that enable us to praise him out of a full heart. And when I say a full heart, I mean a heart that he has filled with his love and his grace. One such very special experience of this nature comes to my mind now as I speak. It occurred on a summer Sunday morning several years ago. Let me tell you about it. After a Saturday night wedding at which I had officiated, I accepted the invitation of the host pastor to stay in his home for the night and then make the 200-mile drive to Seattle on Sunday morning. I knew that if I left early enough, it would be possible for me to be in the pulpit in my home church for the 11 o'clock worship. In recent weeks, I had been dealing with some troubling things in my ministry, and somehow, early that Lord's Day morning, a spirit of intense discouragement took hold of me. It was beyond my ability to shake this feeling of discouragement. 
It was beyond my ability even to ask God for help, much less to think of praising Him and giving Him thanks. I was alone in my car as I began the drive. At least I thought I was alone. I certainly felt like I was alone. But before many minutes had passed, I realized that I was not alone. I knew that the Lord was with me. He came so close to me through His Word and by His Spirit that He revived my fainting heart. With the passing of each mile, as I drove along the interstate route north to my church in Seattle, my unseen guest filled my entire being with a sense of His presence and of His grace and goodness. His presence was so comforting that it was overwhelming. His praise became my delight. When I entered the pulpit that morning and began to speak, the praise of God was not only the theme of my sermon, it was my sermon. These words of the psalmist came from my heart as they had from the heart of the psalmist long years before. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. For the Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both great and small. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. You are the blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence, but we will praise the Lord from this time forth and forever. Praise the Lord. These words are taken from Psalm number 115. With the Lord's help, no day need pass without a time to pray and a time to praise. Whether we are busily occupied in our daily tasks and at our regular stations, or discouraged and feeling helpless, one thing is sure, we need not be hopeless. My friend, when you are discouraged, ask yourself the same question that King David did, as it is recorded in the 42nd Psalm. There we read, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Then read the rest of this verse in the same psalm. Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer unto the God of my life. As God provides an everyday blessing for us, may we bless and praise his name forever and ever. 
it is God's will that his praise would be sounded from one generation to another, and that his mighty acts would be declared as his children speak of the glory of his majesty and of his wondrous works. Each generation is an important link in the successful promotion of the gospel message. If one link in this chain is missing, serious questions arise as to the continuing progress of the gospel in succeeding generations. In my ministry, I have worked with families where the blessing of living faith has continued from one generation to another. Just recently, at a Sunday school Christmas service, I was overwhelmed with a spirit of thankfulness when I looked at the children participating in this program. As I observed them, I realized that many of these different families have a Christian heritage that I could trace back five generations, and I knew members of each generation personally. In my 40 years in the ministry, many Christian families have touched my life, and I am thankful for their witness. God only knows how many generations before them their Christian heritage goes. This realization brought me to pray anew that God will also keep this generation faithful to him and to his word. Then, on the other hand, there can be disappointment and a weighty concern when you see those whose covenant of baptism has been forsaken and whose confirmation vows have been broken, and you see that they are rearing their children without the benefit of biblical teachings, how we in the church need to pray for guidance in our ministry, for the enlightenment and the unction of the Holy Spirit, so that we may reach out to those who have lost their way. We have a life-giving message, a message of hope and encouragement, a message that God's Word instructs us would be told to the generations following, a message to share with our people, encouraging them to take heed and to keep their souls diligently so that they would not forget the things which their eyes have seen, lest they would depart from their hearts, but that they would be taught to their sons and to their sons' sons, as we read in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. In the seventh verse of this psalm, we are exhorted to abundantly utter the memory of God's great goodness. How I love those memorable times of fellowship when Christians have shared their memories of what God has done for them. These experiences have often occurred during times of trial because then it seems that God's great goodness has been demonstrated most notably. On a trip to Norway some years ago, I had a time of special fellowship with an elderly Christian woman whose life of faith had followed the pattern depicted by Apostle Peter in the first chapter of his first epistle, where he states that the trial of faith is much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, that it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. This dear Christian sister shared many spiritual experiences 
with me that day. But time permits me only to share this one. And this is how God demonstrated his goodness to her. One day, while alone at home, this Christian woman was suddenly stricken with severe pain in her chest. She knew that the pain indicated a heart problem, probably a serious problem that could lead to sudden death. There was a moment of soul-searching as she thought, Am I ready to meet my Maker? Suddenly, it was as though someone had placed his arms around her to keep her from falling to the floor. And then these words of Scripture came to her. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Then the Lord himself spoke to her by saying, I have been with you through all of these years. Do not think that I am going to leave you now. The woman said, Joy, thanksgiving, and praise filled her soul. The people of God in this and every age have realized their inability as mortals to fully comprehend God's greatness and the glorious honor of his majesty and his wondrous works. Even the Lord's chosen servant, Paul, who said that he had labored more than all of the other disciples, yet not he, but the grace of God that was with him, he stood almost in speechless awe before this wonderful God. In his letter to the Romans, he said, O the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? The Lord's greatness cannot be measured, and the abundance of his mercies can never be exhausted. But in remembering the greatness of his goodness, the psalmist also said that he would sing of his righteousness. We do not separate his mercy from his righteousness. Men's judgments are often faulty, but not the Lord's. He is righteous in all of his ways. In his relationships with us, his children, he is truly gracious. He is full of compassion. He is slow to anger and of great mercy. Yet he remains a righteous God. His mercy is not extended at the cost of his righteousness. While it is true that God is a righteous God who has said that he will visit the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those that hate him, he has also promised mercy to those who love him and have a desire to keep his commandments. In writing to the Galatians, Paul sounded this warning. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. If a man tries to come to God, thinking that he will be accepted by God, because he is impressed with himself and proud of what he has done. God's word says to such a person, Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. The righteousness in which we can boast is that righteousness by which we are saved, the righteousness which is by faith. 
For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The righteousness of which David the psalmist sings here in this psalm, and the righteousness of which all of the believers love to sing, is the righteousness of Christ which is ours by faith. We abundantly utter the memory of God's great goodness, and we sing of his righteousness. Amen. And now humble your hearts before the Lord and receive his benediction. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear friend, perhaps God has reached you through his word today. Will you make room in your heart for him? God loves you. He wants to bring you joy and peace in the Lord. This program is brought to you by the Apostolic Lutheran Eastern Missionary Association and made possible through your prayers and financial support. As God has blessed you, please remember this ministry. If you would like a tape of this message, please refer to it by the date of broadcast. Send your request to Echoes of Mercy, Post Office Box 69, Hancock, Michigan, 49930. 
Our mailing address again is Echoes of Mercy, Post Office Box 69, Hancock, Michigan, 49930. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Today is still a day of grace. God is calling sinners unto repentance and living faith. May we open the door of our heart. Stay tuned to the Echoes of Mercy broadcast brought to you by the Apostolic Lutheran Eastern Missionary Association. This is Pastor Alvin Holmgren. I serve the Apostolic Lutheran Church in Seattle, Washington. Let us begin this time of worship and meditation with prayer and thanksgiving. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. O Heavenly Father, who by thy Son didst create all things that are in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, giving him authority over all. We thank thee that through him we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we may truly know thee as our Father, call upon thee in prayer, and be assured that we will be heard as thy children. And as thou, dear Father, did send thy Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Keep us by thy mighty power blameless in the midst of a perverse world, so that we may attain the crown of life. To this end, grant that we may be filled with the knowledge of thy will, be fruitful in every good work, and be strengthened in the patience of faith. Help us to mortify the deeds of the flesh and to live in the Spirit, ever setting our affection on things above. Declare thy glory, O Father, among all nations, and send forth thy word to open the eyes of the unbelieving, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto Christ, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and the inheritance with all the children of God. Look with favor upon our land, that true liberty may prevail, and that uh, the works uh, of ungodliness may be destroyed. Now, Heavenly Father, as thou hast bidden us by thy word, to let our request be made known with thanksgiving in prayer and supplication, we come to thee in loving gratitude and trust offering these petitions in the name of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. For our meditation today, let us read from the Gospel according to St. John in the sixth chapter, verses 28 and 29. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Special and unique circumstances that was asked of Jesus. It was the question of more than 5,000 people who had been present and had been witnesses of many of the miracles of Jesus. They had followed him because they saw the miracles which he did on those that were diseased. And so they found themselves desiring to be in his company. When the Lord looked upon this large multitude of people, he had compassion on them and he said to Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? For he knew that uh, they were in need of natural sustenance, of daily food as well. Even though he also recognized the truth of the word, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. As the disciples began to discuss the matter among themselves, they finally said to the Lord, There is a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus instructed the disciples to have all of those present sit down, and they sat down in number about 5,000. And when the Lord took the loaves and the fishes, and he gave thanks, blessing them and giving them to the disciples, and they in turn distributed to the multitude, they all ate and were filled, and the fragments that were gathered up filled twelve baskets. Then Jesus took his leave of these people and went unto the other side of the sea. But the people followed him. The Lord was of the mind that when they had seen this miracle also, in addition to all of the others, they might come and endeavor to take him by force and make him their king. And so he went into a mountain by himself alone. But the multitude followed him. And when the Lord saw them, as they again came into his presence, he said to them, You seek me, not because you saw the miracles, because, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then, in response uh, to these uh, statements of the Lord, the people began to ask him this all-important question. They wanted to know, what might we do that we might work the works of God. It is inherent in human nature that uh, we want to be capable and self-sufficient. 
not only in the matters uh, that pertain to our secular lives, wherein we are told in the word that it is in the sweat of our face that we are going to eat our bread until we return unto the dust from whence we have been taken. But also, it seems very often as though it is the nature of man when it comes to the salvation of the soul and inheriting eternal life that we also would want to be able to do something that might merit for us the attention and the favor of God. It is extremely difficult for us in our human nature to come face to face with the reality that it is by grace through faith that we are saved and that not of ourselves that it is a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast. But it is taught to us in God's holy word that as far as wages are concerned in things of a spiritual nature, we are only able to earn one thing, and that is death. As it is written in the last verse of the sixth chapter to the Romans, for Paul said that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is only by means of that gift that we are able to inherit the crown of everlasting life. And that is why Jesus, in his wisdom, answered and said unto the people, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. This sounds like an oversimplification of a matter that is seemingly so complex and difficult for the natural man to understand. And it is because the Lord himself, when he offered prayer to God during his prophetic office here, he said, I thank thee, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hidden these things from the wise and from the prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. And then he went on to explain that uh, no one is able to come unto God except by means of the Son. And no one is able to come to the Son except the Spirit of the Father would draw him. Thus, uh, as we begin to search uh, in the teachings of God's holy word, we find that we are totally, that we are entirely dependent on the work of the Spirit of God. We have been taught from our childhood in the confessions of our faith uh, that we believe that we cannot, of our own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ our Lord or come to him, but that it is the Holy Ghost that has called us by the gospel that enlightens us with its gifts and that sanctifies and preserves us uh, in the true faith. And so as we look now at the answer that the Lord gave to these people, that this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. We must first begin to ask ourselves, what does the word of God teach us in regard to the one whom God has sent? What does the word of God teach us in regard to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the Savior who came into the world? First, I believe that it teaches us that he is not a creature. He is not one whom God created, but instead he is of the same essence as God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. 
As we read in the first chapter of the Gospel according to St. John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. But he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we believe in him whom God has sent as the word which was in the beginning with God and which was made flesh. And as Mary, chosen to be the mother of the Lord, was visited by the angel Gabriel, she was told that she should not fear for she had found favor in the sight of God and that she was going to be the mother of the promised Savior, the Messiah that was to come into the world. And when she began to question how this was going to be, we recall how she was told that the power of the highest is going to come upon you so that that which is conceived in you is of the Holy Ghost. Mary said, Be it unto me as the handmaiden of the Lord. And so, in the fullness of time, God in this manner sent his Son into the world that he might be the Savior. And we know that when the fullness of time came and when the Virgin gave birth to the promised Messiah, the message that the shepherds received from the angel as they were watching their flocks on the fields around Bethlehem was that they should not fear. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be the sign unto you. You shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Thus uh, we see then the evidence of the fact that that word, which was in the beginning with God, and which was God, was made flesh and has dwelt among us, and we have beheld its glory, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is a very important part of the doctrine of Christ and the revelation of the Trinity of God as it is made known in the Holy Word. John encourages, he warns us in the first epistle, chapter 4, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether or not they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Then he said, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Not only then is Jesus the Savior, but 
we also believe that uh, he is the only mediator that there is between God and men. As we read in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Then we also believe that he is our high priest and that he is our intercessor. In the fourth chapter of the Hebrews epistle, beginning with verse 14, we read, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In the seventh chapter of this same epistle, we are told concerning Jesus that this man, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. He is able to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. We also believe in the one whom God has sent as being our Lord. Jesus asked the people in his day, as it is recorded in verse 46 of Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? We recognize that when one is our Lord, we render obedience unto him. He is the one who is in control of our lives. He is the one whose wishes we desire to fulfill and whose will we desire to follow. And in order for this to be done, we need to recognize and experience, as Paul said, in regard to his natural desires, that I am crucified with Christ. But then he added, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and who gave himself for me. Jesus, as Lord, said at the conclusion of his Sermon on the Mount, Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. There he points out to us that which is all important. For he amplifies what he is talking about by going on and beginning to speak also of his role as the judge of the living and the dead. And he makes reference to the day of judgment and he says, Many are going to come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, and we have cast out devils in thy name, and in thy name we have done many wonderful works. And then Jesus said, I am going to say unto you, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. How is it possible that he who was thought to be and recognized as being their Lord, as one whom they wanted to serve, that he did not recognize and he did not know those who were thus serving him? I think the Word of God gives us a very explicit answer when it points out to us that everything that is done outside of or without faith is sin. If we serve the Lord with the intention that uh, we are going to gain merit or favor and in that way have access to the joys that God has prepared for those who love him, we will come to find that uh, this 
will not grant us admission into the eternal habitations that God has prepared for them. For the Lord goes on and he explains that inasmuch as these people did not do this unto the least of these his brethren, they did not do it unto him. They had not come to recognize and know him as the only reason for their salvation. They had not found him in the kingdom, in the church where he rules as Lord and Savior also here upon the earth. For the scriptures point out to us that this kingdom that the Lord has established is not a kingdom that was, is outwardly visible, or as the word says, does not come with observation, but it points out that the kingdom of God is within us, even as we know and have come to experience the attributes of the Spirit of God, which are righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It is then, as we look to the Lord as the one who is the whole sole reason for our salvation, and that we can with one accord understand and experience the teachings of the Apostle Paul as well, who said, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another man builds thereupon. But let every man take heed how he builds thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Thus we understand that if we are going to do the works of God, we must believe on him whom God has sent. Believe on him as the one who is the way and who is the truth and who is the life. The word of God testifies so beautifully in regard to Jesus and points out to us that he is the one who has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him do all things consist. Paul considered the importance of rightly believing in the Lord. As the Lord himself said, The one that believes in me, as the scriptures say, from him shall flow rivers of living water. That he not only pointed out here that uh, it has pleased God, that in him all the fullness of the Godhead, Godhead would dwell bodily, but he pointed out to us that Christ is all and in all. Today, we have that privilege as we listen to the word of God to recognize the work of God, to understand and to know that this is the work of God, that we would believe in him whom God has sent. Amen.
Let us pray. Lord God, most holy, we thank thee for the love of Jesus and that in his compassion and grace he freely gave himself as a propitiation for our sins, yielding up his perfect life as an offering for our redemption and salvation. Let thy hand of blessing rest upon thy church to prosper and to defend it. Give success to all who sow the seed of thy word and proclaim the glorious gospel of salvation. Pour down thy blessings upon them and unite all of us in one spirit in thy church on earth and finally in thy courts in heaven. We pray, O Father, for these things in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now humble your hearts before the Lord and receive his benediction. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear friend, perhaps God has reached you through his word today. Will you make room in your heart for him? God loves you. He wants to bring you joy and peace in the Lord. This program is brought to you by the Apostolic Lutheran Eastern Missionary Association and made possible through your prayers and financial support. As God has blessed you, please remember this ministry. If you would like a tape of this message, please refer to it by the date of broadcast. Send your request to Echoes of Mercy, Post Office Box 69, Hancock, Michigan, 49930. Our mailing address again is Echoes of Mercy, Post Office Box 69, Hancock, Michigan, 49930. Thank you for your prayers and financial support.